All right, let's do this. Do you want like a clap or something? We all clap now that we've got um, three minutes of crap at the front. Nope. Okay. Welcome to episode 84 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley. And once again, I am joined by two of my favorite people. Let's start with Mindy Carney. Hi. And we have Corey Rogers. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we're all here. I think it's been a whole four episodes since we've had Corey on the yeah. podcast. So. No, when Jonathan was like, do you want to come on? I was like, are you sure about this? I know our ratings on. are really low right now, Corey. We <laughs> awesome. We needed to we bring need you back. Yep. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got some we've got some bad news and follow up. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of uh, just subtitled this bad news and follow up. I feel like we have to get this out of the oh. way and air yeah. some grievances here yeah, yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. glad that Corey's here because yep. oh, Corey's yeah. kind of my expeditions partner mm-hmm. at Grant Wood that we do this uh, class together. Many more you don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The expeditions <laughs> and tour creator <laughs> are going away. Yeah. Just completely yeah. wiping them off the map. Uh, yeah. Is there any inclination why I, this feels really weird? It feels I, weird too. It feels like I don't know. I don't understand it. Yeah, Google will migrate many of the VR tours and the expeditions to Google Arts and Culture, and this is all going to happen sometime between now and the summer. Right. And after June thirtieth the Google Expeditions app will not work anymore and will not be available for download anymore and you will not be able to do class tours anymore. So it's all getting moved into Google Arts and Culture. Yeah, so for those of you that spent like $7,000 on a kit, too bad. We're so sorry. (sighs) On a new kit kit because demand was so high, Grantwood AEA. Yeah, right. We have a new kit at Grant Wood that we have yep. not yet used. Yeah. It's still, uh, the phones are in boxes, and um, I don't know if we can send that back yet or not, or if we're just going to be not. creative and think of a new way to use those. But, uh, yeah, so that's the deal. Um, tour creators closing down as well. And um, and that's like a whole other thing. Like, why shut that down? Yeah. I mean, and I felt like even I read somewhere that they're like, well, tour creator was always just in beta. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, could oh, be. Oh, you know no, what I we're mean? All like in beta forever. Geez, like, Louise. come on. I don't know. I just, I, I, I think the expeditions thing. Um, you know, I is a shame. I think tour creator is the biggest thing that I feel like is such a letdown because it really allowed people to create, and I, I just think it's a shame. But I mean, we've made it very clear Google doesn't listen to me, so because I talk about them all the time here. Well, Google have said, this is uh, from Jennifer Holland, who I believe is the product manager for education. She said, we've heard and recognized that immersive experiences with VR headsets are not always accessible to all learners. Even more so this year, as the transition to hybrid learning has presented challenges for schools to use expeditions effectively. 
So uh, to continue to add to the collection and make expeditions uh, tours available to everyone, they're migrating them to Google Arts and Culture. So they're kind of pitching it as an equity type of right. deal here to make them more accessible to everybody, which I get. But then but why kill what you already have, though, too? Like, if that's I the know. case, then just move it. I don't understand. And Google, I mean, the Expeditions app was free for everyone. It's not like it was a paid app, and you could still run it on Chromebooks. It's not like, I don't know. I feel like yeah. there's a part here. Go on, Corey. Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> and kids could take it out of the headset if yeah. that was in it. Like, I felt like we'd come up, and many of the participants in our workshop had come up with really good workarounds to make sure. I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially right now, when kids aren't able to get out and go places, if you're in a classroom, you can socially distance and take kids on a tour and expose them to things that they can't see right now, or they may never see because of their whole situation, their life circumstances. So I... Really disappointed, and the AR stuff is really disappointing to me because I feel like, especially for our technical, like our science and engineering, those ARs let kids have access to things they couldn't see. It made the intangible tangible. Mm-hmm. And I, have you seen a plan for that, Jonathan? Like it felt to me the answer I saw was basically like, yeah, the AR stuff won't be in arts and culture. The AR stuff from Expeditions is not moving to Google Arts and Culture, but they said they do have some AR stuff there already, but it's going to be different AR stuff because it's arts and culture. I mean, it's just a different type of theme and idea. I mean, I, I don't know. All of this is, I think, just comes down to the fact that every so often Google just raises the axe and chop stuff things go to the google graveyard and unfortunately expeditions is one of those things i mean it's not like i mean these expedition tours must be sitting on a server somewhere Mm -hmm. and you know all they're doing is pointing that back to google arts and culture i mean they could have kept both if they really wanted to but i'm guessing they didn't either have the resources or the whatever to want to keep both going at the same time so they're just consolidating and saying hey, it was fun while it lasted. Let's move on to the next thing. And yeah. That is pretty much the Google way, I think, with a lot of stuff that they they try and they put out there. Yeah. Ma'am. So there. after uh, June 30th, 2021, <laughs> you won't be able to download and use the Google Expeditions app. The Expeditions right. app will no longer work. Uh, you won't be able to access Tour Creator. You won't be able to create new tours or download any of your published tours after that date. But you can download your published tours before that date. Uh, you won't have access to guided tours through Expeditions. But you can participate in single-player tours. I don't know what that means. So that means you can do the tours on Arts and Culture like yourself the students can all do it themselves but you can't guide them through let's go to the next section or the next uh, site yeah so yeah so that does leave the question what do we do with all these vr kits that schools have bought so i think i mean that's something maybe Corey and i are gonna have to brainstorm next week when we get together and start to think about you know can we offer ideas or suggestions for how to migrate your kit to be used for something else but um Mm -hmm. I think the biggest problem we had with these kits was that 
they weren't super easy to manage. It's like if right. you wanted to put a new app on there, you'd have to manually put it on every single one individually. Yeah. And if it's just one app, which is Expeditions, then that's fine. But I don't yeah. know. Well, and I know like the um, other virtual reality stuff that we had put on those phones, like it's tricky because we wanted to put stuff that we felt like was educational and age appropriate for all kids. And a lot of those VR apps, like there's a couple things, but not all of them. And there's some stuff that was appropriate and other stuff I was like, oh, huh, wow, I didn't, didn't see this coming. You know, so that's the tricky thing too, is living in the education world. You have to be much more careful about the stuff you, you know, toss on there, especially if we're putting our name on it and sharing it with people. So good luck. I can't wait to see how that goes. I wish Co-Spaces was like, it's too bad Co-Spaces got so, you know, behind a paywall too, because that was such a great thing to use on um, that kit too. But I don't know. Well, mm. that's my concern is it's like, that's going to be another part of what we've got to figure out is like merge cubes went behind a paywall. Co-spaces did like yeah. the upkeep yeah. in maintaining that stuff is going to be a challenge. We'll figure yeah. it out. That's part of my plan this week for oh. ISTE is to go to oh. ARVR stuff to grab mm-hmm. resources and ideas. So fingers crossed I can get into those rooms. And weren't those and- people, weren't those people surprised? <laughs> I, that's what I thought. There are there are a lot of tour creator using expedition stuff, and it was like wah wah. What What are you talking about? I feel about for now, them. Yeah, that's yeah, a bummer. I feel for them. For sure. That is completely the problem you get with ISTE when you yes. have to submit your presentation proposals like a year in advance or something. Yes. Yes. All right, so let's move on to our main course. Served to you, piping hot. It's hour of code twenty twenty. And your server today is Corey Rogers. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's down. almost computer science education week. Yay. Corey, is this really the best and the worst time of the year for you? Because, yes. I mean, you are, you are never more busy than you are during this month. Yeah, it is. It's simultaneously joyous and stressful, which is just like the holiday season, right? Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. The analogous is the same, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so CS Education Week, which is when we celebrate Hour of Code, which I think is what more teachers know, yeah. is December 7th through the 13th okay. this year. Oh, it's kind of late, um, right? Is it, isn't it? it usually? Well, I guess this isn't a full week of December. So is it always the first yeah. full week of December? Is that how it's chosen? Got it. Okay. Yes, always the first full week. And it starts either, it goes through the weekend so that you can celebrate it at home with your family or at a community event because it's the most wonderful time of the year. Right. <laughs> um, so this year, not like, I'm just like everything else. It looks a little different because it's pandemic time. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of what we, I did this year was try to pull together resources. To help teachers, because we know, at least in Iowa, that there's lots of different instructional models getting used. So mm-hmm. I think the first thing that I am trying to, the first message I'm trying to make sure we get out to educators is to say, CS Ed Week is the first week of December. It's 100% okay for your hour of code to happen in February. 
Like there, nobody says the hour code right. has to happen between though, like within that week, a window. It's just when a lot of the resources and the excitement and the celebration is happening. Mm-hmm. But it's okay for you if you're just listening to the podcast or you're just seeing our resources to go like, mm, maybe we're going to do that right before spring break. Gives right. me time to plan, to find resources and to fit this in. And so I, what's more important to me is that teachers and students are exposed to computer science and build comfort. I don't care when you do it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but it is an exciting week. There's tons of resources out there right now um, that are really exciting. And we have resources that I know will be in the show notes. But what I put together this year is a s'more that has um, resources specifically if you're in a socially distanced classroom resources for hybrid classrooms and resources for virtual classrooms. Um, And I tried to curate that down. So there's only six um, examples on each of those s'mores because the Hour Code Activity site is amazing, but it's seven years in the making and it is overwhelming. Yeah, Um, And you can filter through stuff um, and find things, but what we're hearing from teachers is that they don't have the time to do that. So I spent some time and kind of went through and tried to pull out the really easy to use examples that I thought would work really well in those settings. So um, hopefully teachers are finding things that they like in there and that they feel like they can grab and go. Can you give, can you give an example of, you know, what it would look like in a, a, a virtual versus hybrid versus, you know, socially distant classroom and, you know, how, how, these activities are being modified or changed? Yeah, so um, so I think the first thing worth mentioning is that during CS Ed Week, Code.org has something they're calling Code Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S. Um, and those are going to be live 20-minute lessons that happen twice a day. On our s'more, what I did was break it down and said, like, Monday, here's the times and here's the activities and the grade levels. But they've done a nice job of making sure there's a couple activities for every grade level throughout the week. Um, And so I think no matter what instructional setting you're in, if you are a teacher and those times work for you, it's a 20-minute live lesson. They're going to facilitate it. There will be special celebrity guests and it's 20 minutes where the, you and the kids can be engaged in that learning together, or the kids could be engaged in that learning, and you could take a break. You could sit at the back of the room and take a break and breathe, and the kids will be engaged in really good instruction that is live and fun, and you can just kind of breathe for a minute mm-hmm. if that works for you. And that those links are live, and so if you are in a classroom and you're socially distanced, you throw it up on the projector screen and you can participate together, um, I think, for hybrid or virtual You could do it in a synchronous meeting. I don't know if I would personally, but you could share those times with the kids. All of those are going to have activities for kids to be engaged in. So if you wanted them to share what they did or do a debrief later when you're back together, you can. And they're going to be recorded and available on YouTube. And so I think it's a great resource for teachers to be using. Um, the other thing I would say is if you are face-to-face and socially distanced, there's lots of unplugged activities that kids can be engaged in at their desk. Um, one of my favorite activities to do with kids is to have them code another person, and I can do that from six feet away. 
-hmm. So I can put together instructions and tell you to turn right and move. And there's lots of debugging and sequencing and pattern making that kids are engaged in that goes along with computer science and they're going to have fun and be Mm -hmm. laughing. And, um, and then for hybrid and virtual, I think the hard part is, are you face to face? Are you synchronous or asynchronous? There's a couple activities I think this year that really lend themselves well to this. One of them is from iRobot and it's, I think they called it telephone robot. I can look telephone activity maybe, but essentially it's the game of telephone, but with code. So the way that I put it in our resources and the way that I would envision doing it is Monday morning, if we have a synchronous class meeting, whether we're hybrid or virtual, whatever your setup looks like, kick off the activity explain to the kids how it works, make sure they can all get logged in. And then the way that that activity works is everybody gets a number. So Mindy would be first, I'm second, Jonathan's third. Well, of course I'd be first. (laughs) Oh, obviously. Um, So, but then as a group, you decide we're all going to draw a flower and Mm -hmm. Mindy does the first couple blocks and I do the second. And then on Friday, when we're back together in a synchronous meeting, we can look at the results. We can talk about what went well and what didn't. Um, so I think that one lends itself really nicely. There's another one that is kind of like Pictionary. So there are, um, there's blocks of codes already, already available. You put it up on a large screen or could put it up in a synchronous meeting. And the idea is kids are reading the code and trying to guess what the, the robot is drawing on the screen before it's hmm. done. And so it's a way for you as a teacher to know, are kids able to look at code and make sense of a loop or a direction turn or a pause or a pen up or down? And then you can have kids create their own. Um, And then they're actually engaged in the coding and creating that. So for me, it's about being flexible and thinking about what's really important for us to talk about and discuss when we're all together. And then what's the stuff kids can engage in asynchronously. And honestly, sometimes getting to have that quiet time to dig into the code and debug and then come back and debrief is a really good way of engaging in any type of new learning for kids. So I don't know if you heard or not, Corey, but 2020 was was kind of a doozy. Um, and <laughs> Wasn't I noticed aware. You, you weren't, no? What well, happened? Well, you know, what? A, a few things happened and okay. it's not everyone's favorite. I've been year, on a meditation but... trip in the desert. What? Uh-huh. What has happened? <laughs> I noticed on the code.org site, they were saying that, um, you know, in 2020, computer science is more important than ever. This is something that is really uh, almost kind of raising the profile of the need for computer science. Um, what kind of, what kind of things are they getting out there? Why, why are the, uh, why are they linking it to such a bad year? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think just the amount of time we're all spending on devices and needing to troubleshoot, I think is huge. You guys have heard me say this a lot before, but the computer science standards are more than just programming. Mm -hmm. So there's a piece of those about understanding networking and the internet. Well, I don't know a time when that's been more important, not only for organizations, but in your own home, right? Like make understanding how the network works, keeping it working, knowing how to troubleshoot when it doesn't. Um, uh, I think that net computing systems, understanding my hardware, what can I do to make sure it's working cleanly? Um, and cybersecurity certainly has come up a lot with the pandemic and with the election. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes back to what code.org specifically, but I think we've seen across the country has talked about for years and years is that we've got a shortage of knowledgeable people. 
that are ready to step into those jobs. Um, and I think when you don't have a system in place to make sure kids have a basic level understanding of computer science, it's not a shock when then we don't have trained professionals ready to go into those roles. Um, and so I'm not naive enough to think that every kid is going to go into some sort of computer science field, but I, I do believe that no matter what job you go into, there's an IT department and there's a need to use computers. And the more foundational knowledge our kids have, the better they are to make decisions as consumers, decisions as citizens, decisions as professionals. Um, and we've got to give them that foundation. And I, th- those are the messages I'm hearing. I guess I'm curious what you're hearing, what you guys think, too. Because it certainly has affected our work this year. Yeah, I think part of it's like, you know, I keep hearing the question, things like, you know, how will things change after the pandemic? You know, what what's going to be different? And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are using more technology and more digital tools for communication and um, to getting their work done than maybe there was before. People who maybe were more reluctant to use it are now finding that this is just the way that we do things now. Um, and I think maybe some of it maybe boils over even to like some media literacy stuff when we're thinking about, you know, the things that are getting put out there on the internet, especially during this election year on either side in terms of, you know, what is uh, being reported correctly and not correctly. I think, you know, it's interesting to think about how computers and bots and AI and all that sort of thing are, are feeding that sort of stuff. And even just putting things out there in your social media feed that are based on your preferences and the things that you think are right and correct, you're going to see more of that stuff because that's what it's, is, things you want to read and what you want to see. So just to help be aware of, of that and, and what that what that stuff looks like and, and how it works, I think. I think the other interesting part of it, and it does tie back in a little bit to our code, is also thinking about the ethics of computing. Like what when you create something with computer science, an app, a robot, whatever that is, what are the intended consequences and impacts and what are the unintended consequences? Um, impacts of that. And so one of the code.org theme again this year is CS for Good. And there's lots of activities for kids to engage in, like create a meditation app because that helps with mental health or create an app that helps track sea turtles or there's tons of them on the um, activities website, but to engage kids in not only computer science, but thinking about how can they make the world better. And um, CSTA, which is the Computer Science Teachers Association, um, their their theme this year is CS for social justice. And so they've really focused in the last year on equity and inclusion. And so they have a lot of really good resources, not only in getting kids to think about impacts, but um, just really good information about role models. They're call- I think they're calling them justice heroes, social justice heroes, I think. Um, but really good role models for kids to see that computer scientists look different and come at this from lots of different angles and are uh, tackling different um, social and ethical issues across the country to make the world a better place. And so I think there's some neat ways that organizations are trying to engage kids now as young learners so that that's just part of how they think about computer science. And it's not like for our generation where it's like, oh, I didn't think people would use that app in that way, but they are. And now we got to deal with the consequences of that and kind of backtrack a little bit. So yeah, it'll be interesting. 
I think you could make that argument for lots of things, not just computer science. After the last three years we've been in quarantine, is what it feels like. <laughs> it does. Well, and I think what's interesting about that, too, is we've been talking so – I mean, we're hearing teachers talk about how the students aren't engaged and they're not completing work. And to me, this is a great way for students to find a way for something to be passionate about that leads to other further learning besides just the coding of a sea turtle app or whatever, yeah. but is learning about the dangers that sea turtles face and what kind of um, – issues that provides for our environment and for the ecosystem. And, you know, there's so many things that can be involved with those types of topics that lots of kids could really get engaged in and take on some of that learning on their own at home when that seems to be one of the huge struggles that we're having right now. So what a great way to kind of take it a step further too and be like, okay, now let's do something about it. And how can we use computer science to do something about it? I read that the gender of sea turtles is based upon the temperature of the sand that they are in. I believe that I is that's true. true or not. I believe that, that's I true. Heard, you read I that have too? heard that too. Uh-huh. I feel okay. like yes, that's and interesting. I, and the the article said that because of you know rising temperatures in the planet, female sea turtles now vastly outnumber male turtles, just because of the the temperature or something that hmm. that it comes at. Huh. So. There you go. Maybe there's some some graphing or some data collection in there. Male sea turtles are cheering everywhere. Yes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Is that wrong? You might have to take that out. Oh, okay. So anyway, Corey, um, if I was interested in looking up and ch- kind of trying to follow some things on social media, do you have some hashtags or people that I should follow besides you, of course? Oh, that's kind. I have a, I have a million hashtags, you okay. guys. There's, it's a problem. I would okay. say the the two most important hash uh, two most important hashtags to follow are um, Hour of Code mm-hmm. and CS Ed, E-D, Week because okay. that's the code.org hashtag and the CSTA hashtag. Okay. Um, and then I think you should follow CS for Iowa because mm-hmm. that's how in our state we're trying to connect educators around computer science work. And then if your students are uh, specifically engaged in the CS for Good or social justice work, there's CS for Good, F-O-R, not the number. Yep. And then CS for, F-O-R, not the number, social justice. So if your kids are engaging in that type of work, tagging it that way would be a good way for you to share out and for kids to get feedback. It'd also be a good way for you to search. So if you're really wanting to focus on the CS for Good or the social justice um, themes this year, that's how you can search for those and find them. Um, other people I would follow. So I have a, a really good friend, is what I will say now, named Shana Glass. She's out of Houston, Texas area. She and I actually met because she found the very first Hour of Code resources our team put out. And she reached out and said, hey, can I use these? And then we met at the conference and now we present together. Because, oh, nice. Um, it's just been awesome. So I will grab hers. I think her handle on Twitter is C. Sorry, her hash, I think her handle is S-V-I-C Glass, but I'll make sure that we put it in there. But Shana does a ton of um, our code work in her district in Houston. Uh, Interestingly enough, she serves the same number of students in her district that we do in our whole AEA. Oh, wow. Um, And so part of why she and I really like getting to collaborate together is we serve a similar number of adults and students, but our populations are really different. And so pushing and pulling on each other, um, it's been a really nice collaboration. And then we have tons of our code resources um, to share. Other people I'd follow, Hadi. 
the founder of code.org has really good stuff. And mm-hmm. then I would go to CSTA. That's what I do. I go to follow sure. CSTA. Their handle is CS Teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then start following the people that are there. Too many to count. So can you tell us what Grant Wood are doing this year for uh, supporting schools who want to do events? And more importantly, maybe, are you still going to be cutting up all those stickers again this year? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So good timing. So first of all, what we're doing at Grant Wood is um, we are still trying to help partner up. If you are a fourth grade teacher and you would like to have an industry partner help you with your hour of code, we've got about 20 different industry partners happy to support you either face-to-face or virtually in your classroom. Um, so uh, on our link to all our landing page for the resources, there's a registration link. If you're an industry partner listing and want to help, there's a sign up for you as well. Um, I think officially we said that closed last week, but at this point, if you are interested, we'll help connect you. And then the other thing we're doing is the sign up again. If you register with us, just so that we know you're participating, um, you get some resources that come right to your inbox. And then there are stickers again. I can't promise you that they're going to get to you the week of CS Ed Week. We are still working on it, but because of, of the COVID stuff, our office is moving a little slower. So stickers um, are supposed to get printed Friday. I am not cutting them apart this year. Mm, They're going out in sheets. Oh. I learned my, this girl can learn. I learned my lesson. <laughs> so we're printing them out in sheets where you can self-peel. They cost us a little bit more, but it's worth my sanity and not making my children practice their cutting skills. Mm. Um, and those resources will still be available if you sign up after our code, um, we'll still send you stickers. So if you're going to do it later... I get a notification, people apply, and I'll have a stack of stickers ready to go. And just, I guess the last thing I would say is please share, tag us on social media. I'd love to see what you're doing, and I'm happy to help connect and share as well if you want support. Well, Corey Rogers, we appreciate all your hard work and all of the resources that you pull together for all of our teachers and that you share out so happily. So thank you. We really appreciate you a lot. Thanks, Corey. All right. So up next, my favorite part of the show, Tech Nuggets. Who is scrambling for Tech Nuggets today? Raise your virtual hand. Okay, good. Thanks for playing. Lots of hands. (laughs) Lots of hands. That's three hands. Three hands. That being Uh, said, we do have lots of nuggets today. Because Corey's got got a couple. I got a couple. You got a couple. So we're not short on nuggets. We're not. No. They might have been late additions, but we're not sure. They might not be great. We don't know. Um, I'll start with my one that is a mediocre nugget. It's kind of lukewarm. Oh, I don't know if I like those. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. So um, everybody probably knows how much I love tall tweets. So um, if you haven't heard me talk about tall tweets before, it is a website that you put your um, Google Slides link into, and it will pull slides to make your slide deck into a GIF. And I use have used this probably more than anyone else in the world. I use it all the time. Love it. So I went there um, last week for something for the Think, Make, Innovate show and saw that now they have a Google Slides add-on called Creator Studio. And so um, you can add that from Google Slides. You go into your add-ons, add Creator Studio, and now you can do what Tall Tweets does, but straight from that add-on. 
The lukewarm part of this is that I didn't feel like the quality of the images was as good. So if you really want something to look nice, tall tweets is probably still your way to go. If you are um, wanting your students to do it and just want them to have one place to go and it's all there in Google Slides, it might be an add-on to consider. So I would still continue to use tall tweets, but if I was having like my elementary students making GIFs from um, their slide deck, it might be an add-on that I would try just to keep them from having to navigate here, there, and everywhere. So there you have it. I'm just looking at it now, and it's offering a feature I didn't know you could do with tall tweets, but maybe this is a new one I haven't used recently. Well, it says you, you can do this in PowerPoint, but in Google Slides you can't. Um, but this add-on will let you download your deck as a video. Um, I don't know that I've ever downloaded it as a video. I usually just download it as a GIF. So I guess I don't know if I knew that that existed or not. It says it will produce an MP4 video from your deck and you can oh. vary the time interval between the slides. Huh. So that's a nice add-on too. Well, you, there you have it. I like tall tweets a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that's, you've made our holiday card for our I team. I did way, last right? year. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times, yeah, I use it for, well, when we used to present at um, conferences. I used to make GIFs out of people's presentation slides and put those out on social media as just kind of like a little, hey, come check out these slides and do it as a quick movie. And well, not movie, but as a GIF. It's just something different to do, you know, catch people's eye. Yeah, so... I showed it to my daughter uh, last week yeah, because yeah. she came home from school. She did uh, like a little stop motion thing in yeah. PowerPoint at yeah. school and they did the publish to the web and then you set the slide yeah. time to like 0.1 yeah. seconds or something yeah. like that. And I said, you could have just, you know, flipped that through tall tweets yeah. and got like a little gif you can share and use anywhere you want. And she's yeah. like, oh, okay. Oh, so. yeah. That's the nice thing about it is that it's shareable where, you know, the publish to the web with the slides is it just lives where it is, you know, but it does make it more mobile to different places. So anyway, there you have it. All right, I'll go next. I've got a a short one. And I thought since we're doing um, CS Week, Hour of Code, all that good stuff, I'll throw in a coding resource. I'm sure this is among Corey's stuff somewhere, but uh, CodeSpark Academy is uh, a platform for K through five teachers. And I think this whole thing started off as like an iPad app. I remember the use of an iPad app called like the Foos or something. And the Foos are now part of CodeSpark Academy. Does that sound right, Corey? It does. They It looks like the Foos to me. Yeah. And so the thing I liked about the Foos and I'm being on this website a little bit is that they, they teach coding in different ways, but um, you don't need any literacy skills for this. It never has any written instructions on the screen. It's just got little, you know, arrows and icons and shapes and prompts. And, you know, it's moving these little characters across the screen and they have to jump over blocks or different things like that. But they have a whole um, teacher dashboard here that goes through sequencing, loops, conditionals, events, variables, and uh, different things like that. And it looks like the hour of code type of dashboard board, you know, where you can see where your students are. They can all work at their own pace and and work through that. But um, it's completely free uh, for teachers. Uh, They do have a 
paid arm if you are, I think, like homeschooling or you want to have your parent and you want this on with your kids, but um, completely free for teachers to set up. And uh, they work with uh, Code.org and ISTE and CSTA and all these other good people there too. So uh, if you haven't seen Code Spark Academy and you're an elementary teacher and you're looking for something else to do out of code, then uh, you could add that to your list. Well, I have another computer science related one. How about I do that one? Let's do it. Um, so Linda Lucas is the author of the Hello Ruby books, which are some of my favorite, especially for elementary. Um, and she was the keynote at CSTA virtual conference this summer. And um, it's the best keynote I've ever seen. It was highly produced. It was recorded. It was gorgeous. Hmm. And then she was in the chat talking with all of us while the video was playing and answering questions. And cool. so it was really cool. So along those lines, she has a YouTube playlist that's called Computer Science in 60 Seconds. The intended audience is pre-K-5, but I think if you've got middle or high schoolers that haven't had a lot of experience. It's a great resource. They're, they're like a minute, they're 60 seconds and there's an activity and a lesson plan in the show notes. Oh, nice. Um, and they're beautiful quality. And it, she just is really approachable about what computer science is and isn't. And I think it's a great introduction, especially if you're an elementary teacher doing virtual or hybrid hmm. kids can watch a 60 second video. And then there's an activity for them to engage with offline. And like one of them is interview your parents about the technology they use. Like it's just really good stuff. So um, I think it's worth checking out and it's 60 seconds of your life. So it's something really quick that you can do with the kids. Hmm. Good one. Yeah. I thought Mindy might like it. Yeah. Elementary lens a little. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, Tony Vincent came through for me today when I was searching for nuggets. Um, I went on the Twitters and um, found this thing. And it also made me think this is probably something that Wiley has already seen and shared with me. So sorry if that's the case, but it's called Undra. And what I think was really cool about it is um, they're all free to use. They're, they are like these little um, icons of sorts or little drawing scenes of sorts. And they each one of them has a little like spot of color in it. So you can change the color and make that illustration match the color that you want to add to your design of some sort. So if you change it to blue, blue is in all every one of these illustrations, then you can change it to green. So you can use your branding color, you can match your, you can use it with hex code. So you can match, you know, a color if you're using something in Canva and you want to pull something else in. Um, so I thought it was kind of a nice, easy way if you're just getting started with some design with your students, it'd be a nice, easy way to um, add some outside elements to it. And I just thought they were kind of fun. I just was like, oh, look at this. Get lost in that for a while. So Thanks, Tony. I like I that. Like yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the. Um, I was curious what the the license would be on using these images. Yeah, and it says here, you know, read below for the actual license. But the gist is that you can use the illustrations in any project, commercial or personal, without attribution or any costs. Right. Just don't try to replicate, undraw, or uh, distribute the packs yourself. So yeah, that's awesome. So don't sell it on Teachers Pay Teachers, is what it's saying. I think that's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'll read between the lines there. There it is. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So for my second <laughs> nugget, um, I'm going to hat tip this one out to the American Association of School Librarians. You will not be surprised to hear that they have endorsed uh, this particular website. It's called teachingbooks.net. And it's the kind of website that I think if I was still in the classroom, I would use a lot because I sometimes struggled for ideas and activities and resources for how to go deeper into a specific text. And so that's really um, what this is about. It introduces uh, students and teachers to authors and teaches them the correct pronunciation of their names, but it also has like book guides and activities and lesson plans and different ways to interact with the text. So you just go onto their website. They don't have every book, obviously, but if they have a book that you are um, familiar with and have been using, you can click on that and you'll see the number of resources that have, they have original resources. They have like about the author type resources. They have um, book trailers, um, the awards that the book has been um, awarded over the time. And they're not all um, internal links. Some of these are external links. There will be links to YouTube videos or to other websites, but just a, a way to go deeper on uh, text that you might be working on with your students. So teachingbooks.net. That's a good one. It is. I I shared it with teachers when I was at Bunker, which was when we lived in Waterloo. So I don't know, a long time ago, eight, nine years ago. So it's been around for a while. I think it's a wonderful resource. All right. Are you ready for the last one? Yes. So people have probably seen this as well, but I was in a collaborative meeting on Zoom and they asked us to use Miro which I had never used before. And I'm going to say that it is kind of like Jamboard on steroids. So it's not quite like Padlet. Like I couldn't respond with audio or video that I'm aware of anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I liked about it was we were doing collaborative planning um, for a, a event for chapter leaders for CSTA. There's a background, so we had like three columns. You could zoom in real close. You could zoom out. So as we added sticky notes, we could resize everything. You could comment on each other's notes. Um, and I'm looking through here now because I didn't when we were doing it, but you can. there's templates you can draw from. You can use a pen tool. You can add a frame around things. We could all quickly move and rearrange the sticky notes with like topics, so... I don't know about you guys. I get lots of questions about Jamboard right now. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, you know, this is another way maybe to kind of take it up a notch um, if teachers are wanting a little more functionality and flexibility with some collaborative work. So I'll look for Google to purchase this soon and incorporate all the features into Jamboard. Is that what mm-hmm. you're saying? I don't know. Maybe. Have you guys seen this before? I have not. Apparently I have because my educational license has expired, it said. So, oh. and I have a profile picture and everything. So, there you yeah, go. I guess, so, I've, yes. I guess I've been in here. I don't remember it at all. So I'm glad you brought it up. Sometimes it's a good refresher. Mm. There's shapes and it's just got a little bit more in there. So yeah. worth giving a try. It's another login. You betcha. It's the other, yeah. the only thing. Why but. not? I'm just selling our login to everybody <laughs> these days. So giving, yeah. giving the machines <laughs> all, all the, the information, information they need. Everything you could possibly want to know. Well, that's right. a very positive note to end the podcast <laughs> on, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, Do an hour code. <laughs> yes. Sorry. 
That's fine. <laughs> Corey, where could uh, people uh, find you online? They can find me on Twitter at Corey underscore Rogers. It's C-O-R-E-Y-R-O-G-E-R-S. I am at Jonathan Wiley on Twitter. And Mindy is at Team Carney. But not going to be. So this is it. I feel so bad because someone actually sent me a message and I should look up her name and apologize on, I cannot remember, and I don't have anything, I'm not logged into Twitter right now, but um, I had a direct message from her, and I have my direct messages, like, turned off, you have to, like, request, you know, and sometimes I don't catch that that's on, and I had a message about the podcast, I felt really bad, so really... Send it to Jonathan and he'll forward it to me. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Your... I was like, I am so sorry. I just saw this. Here's what you wanted. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know if I want to be in your inbox, but uh, <laughs> sure. Send it to me and I will let Mindy know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. But they do appear in a slightly different part of the app, though, because I have, I have yeah. my DMs are open. But then sometimes people will email me and Twitter flags it and says, this person doesn't know that you've seen this yet. Do you want oh. to accept this message and something like that? And so oh. I don't know. I get an email. I have mine oh, set up so I get an email so idea. I don't miss them. Because I'm not good at, about checking the direct messages either. Hot right. tips on social media. Hot, yes. hot tips. <laughs> we will be back. Um, will we be back this year, Mindy? I don't what know. do you think? I don't know. Sure. I don't know. What I mean, it's 2020. Yeah. It's one of those things that who knows what's going to happen. Month you might December, get another yeah. episode of the EdTech Takeout. You, you might, might not. not. Yeah. It would just be a, a little bonus surprise. But this is the most wonderful time of the year. So it, it feels is. like the EdTech Takeout <laughs> should be part of that. <laughs> People are like, don't. Don't do it. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Thanks. <laughs> if you have ideas or suggestions, yeah, feel free to send them yeah, to me right. or podcast at gwaea.org. Until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.